Welcome to Movies Charles and Seen, episode 54. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And this week we watched the 1944 movie Double Indemnity. So Charles, tell us about Double Indemnity. All right, so Double Indemnity is about an insurance salesman who uh, visits someone to sell them insurance and ends up falling in love for um, the guy's wife, who is the only person there to greet him. And then they hatch up a plan to kill the husband and collect insurance money off of it. And they go through with the plan. They they murder him. They make it look like he fell off a train so it was an accident. They can collect the insurance money. But of course, since the situation is so perfect and there's some shadiness around it, the insurance company is suspicious and they investigate this. And the salesman's colleague has this hunch that something is off and they eventually crack into what had really happened and expose that, well, they start getting close to exposing that it was a murder and not an accident. And so then the insurance salesman, well, he he finds out that she wasn't really in love with him because she was like seeing some other younger guy. And then he ends up killing her. I was a little confused about that scene. He ends up killing her and then rushes back to the insurance office to confess everything that happened. And then, um, then he dies. That's basically it. Yeah, he does. Yeah, because she shot him first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Crossman, this was your pick, and it's a good one. Uh, what made you land on, on Double Indemnity? I mean, it's a good movie. Uh, it, it is bad. It's surprisingly a chatty movie, but also like very tense. Um, oh, yeah. I think it, it does... It's kind of like a textbook, like, how do you build tension without, like, mm-hmm. doing a lot? And I like that. I think uh, the main guy, um, Fred McMurray who plays Walter Neff is, is excellent mm-hmm. in this. And I think you can kind of see threads back to um, any noir movie, right? Like this is very noir influenced. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. This is like one of the like OG yeah. noir films. Right. Um, and yeah, it's it's great. It has all the elements of like a, a classic noir. Um, it's another movie set during like the studio time period where it's kind of about LA too and like, as LA is growing. Um, that's actually how I came to this movie. I was like assisting, teaching a class about the uh, about LA in media. And we watched like a few movies about LA okay. and this is one of them. And so it's interesting to see like what LA was like in the 40s and it sort of like right before LA starts to explode. Right. One thing I'm wondering yeah. is how you define a noir film. Uh, as I was watching this, I thought it would it kind of felt like a reverse noir film in a way because my association with the genre is is that it's a detective trying to solve a crime. And here it's someone who's not a detective trying to um, successfully complete a crime and get away with it. I think that's a really good read. I I had that same thought today that it's almost a reverse murder mystery. Yeah. Um, I think think it's still very safe to call this a noir. Like it has has the femme fatale, it has the flashback, structure it yeah. has it's shot in black and white heavy use of shadow it's about a mystery it's like a, it's you're actually not in on the mystery until it like unfolds either you're right much like a detective would detect yeah well yeah. actually I, I feel like you, you, you basically I mean, they, they tell you what is you about see to it. happen right yeah it's it's and you, yeah by about the halfway point i think you know yeah but you don't know like secrets. what gets him to the point at the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie right but you like, know where he's going right? and i think that's what makes it so interesting is that you're seeing this guy piece it together and while you know the destination, so you have like this sense of dread throughout the movie, like yeah. as he steps closer and closer and closer to figuring it out, um, as opposed to a more traditional mystery story where you'd be following the Edward Hugh Robinson character. Sure. Right. 
But it's still like you're still given the mystery up front. Like the body is yeah. still oh, there up, yeah, yeah. up front, right? Yeah. So, or you you actually don't even know that she's been murdered, right? Um, yeah. You know, in that sense, yes. Yeah. You mentioned not yeah. getting the girl. Right, but you don't know if that means that she leave him. Yeah. Especially that formulation really suggests her leaving him rather than her being murdered by him. Which yeah. Is what actually yeah. Happened. Well, I mean, I did think about the construction of showing the end at the beginning because yeah. that's something a lot of movies do, but it's not always for a good purpose. Um, but I felt like in this movie, it kind of it ruined a lot of the suspense for me because I knew that the crime wasn't going to work out. Um, I and like. Just knowing where they're gonna head, like end up in the end, um, it, it I felt like it blunted. I think a lot that's of the conceit of most noir films. So, like in most noir films, you know that the like the crime isn't gonna work out. Yeah, I mean it's, it's a, like it's a doomed genre. In a lot yeah, of ways. In a movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a genre about doomed people, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of the essence of or, or one of the feelings that this is trying to draw out is this sense that of inevitability. And the. Right? The femme fatale character is always like the harbinger of doom yep. for the main character. And yeah, I just feel like you describe the sense of dread permeating the movie, but instead I just get the sense of, oh, so I know what's going to happen, and so we're just watching it unfold. Oh, so I, yeah. I know, I know where it's going. For for me, like you like you mentioned the tense moments in this film. Like, and yeah. the, the, I remember several of them, but one I remember most acutely is when Neff is in is walking into Edward Heber Robert Keyes' office. And he sees the guy that he met on the train standing outside mm-hmm. or waiting outside his office. And like, so now all you have is like these two guys in a room together. And it is so tense and it is just so dramatic uh, just because they're together. That and, was dramatic. But I actually thought it was super cheesy when the witness starts asking the guy, like, you know, do you go, what was it, like fishing or something? Like, I know <laughs> yeah. I recognize you from somewhere. Like, I know exactly what they're doing with that line. I just thought it was kind of <laughs> a little yeah. on the nose. Yeah. I mean, I was I was fine with it, like, to, and and then Neff has to like try to play cool, um, but like the 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 tension in the scene is is thick, and I think that us knowing more and knowing where it ends up accentuates that. Um, I, I guess what knowing the ending uh, is a benefit for is uh, there are multiple scenes of tension where you think everything might fall apart, and you're not, and sometimes. It's not the scene where everything is discovered, right. and yeah. you're not sure which one it is, but you know it it's will happen. Happened. Exactly. Like, so I guess that is true. When his ma- manager or the like office manager comes to his apartment and it's like, yeah, that yeah. is, yeah, that's what I found to be the and most. You know that she's like due movie. to come she's in, like, and, like you, well, he's like yeah. hiding her behind the door. <laughs> yes. That was intense. Well, and, and Billy Wilder shoots that so well, where he has it looking down the hallway. You see her behind the door. You see Neff holding the door open, and yeah. and uh, what's keys operating the elevator and like walking closer to them. Like it's just such great. They, they and he's about to leave, and he comes back. And, yeah, <laughs> and and she has to like tug at the door a little bit to show him that he's she, there, that and she's she has there, to, and he has to play it cool, like and, and also acknowledge that he got the message, like. Yeah, that was masterful, masterful filmmaking. That was definitely yeah. my favorite scene in the movie. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, like how the film builds tension. Um, I love the dialogue in the film. Mm-hmm. Very uh, noir, right? Very noir. Yeah. It's very like, <laughs> like all oh, sing-songy, and it's. Yeah. Uh, it, it, they, they use a, a lot of like lingo and and, and yeah. like goofy banter that like no, no, never actually happens in a real conversation. <laughs> yeah, right? it's it could be a radio play, like in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah, if if not for like some of the 
the visual tension that we were discussing. Right. Yeah. Right. But the story could be told. With, oh yeah. Just with yeah, with pretty audio. easily. Yeah. Yeah. And not change that much. So it sounds like you didn't like this film, Charles. Um. Yeah, I'd say overall I wasn't really blown away by it. Man, we're striking <laughs> out a lot lately. Like, yeah. I feel like it's been a while since we had you watch something. <laughs> cool. oh. Yeah, I guess you like to attack the block, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's that's, that's one. Um, but yeah, no, I think this is a great movie. I think it's really good. Yeah, I hadn't seen this for a few years um, and was wowed again. Just yeah. like the performances are great. I love Neff. He's such a great character. Right. I, I yeah. like that Billy Wilder kind of goes out of his way to make the insurance industry look really cool, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's always all these murders going on for insurance <laughs> right, fraud. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and, the, and you have, like, this claims adjuster who's, like, you know, a freaking private eye. <laughs> it's like, no, that is not what claims, claim adjusters really do. Uh, well, yeah, and Neff is, like, kind of a traveling salesman guy, right. but he's also, like, a, you know, he's a bachelor. and Right, yeah, and he's... Meeting all these women, and yeah. some of them are Barbara Stanwyck. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, okay, man. I guess the life of an insurance salesman is, is pretty swinging. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I liked that. I, I mean, it was kind of, I don't know if it's supposed to be silly in that sense, but I like that they just play it straight. They're just like, yes, this is the insurance industry, and the, it is the, super the cool. CD, <laughs> yeah, um, the, the CD underbelly, underbelly, of, underbelly yeah. of, of the uh, insurance, insurance sales and fraud. Um, so I like that about the movie, uh, and Barbara Stanwyck, right? Like she's the biggest name in this film. Um, she's great, and she's great. Yeah, she's so great. Uh, how'd you feel? Have, you probably haven't seen anything that she has been in no. before, but she's a name. Like she is okay. known uh, more than anybody else, except maybe Edward G. Robinson. Edward G. Robinson is probably the biggest name in the film. He's the older guy, the, the investigator. Keys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, he also named names famously uh, during the the Red Scare. Oh, oh really? And got to keep, yes, and got to keep working when a lot of his buddies did not get to because he named them. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so now you know that about Edward G. Robinson. Cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so he might be the biggest name, but Barbara Stanwyck is, uh, it, at least how I perceived it, the most famous actress associated with this movie, and she absolutely kills it. Um, what do you think about, about Barbara here? I'm not sure if I picked out anything distinctive... Uh, about the lead's performances. At least, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think about it, and I, I can't really pick out anything to to note. I mean, for me, she reads as this... I mean, it, it's almost a classic femme fatale look, but yeah. her insidiousness and her selfishness and cruelty is played so subtly and so well, right? Yeah. Because when it's revealed that, oh, she was actually in on an earlier murder all along, and she was never really, you know, in love with Neff or had anything, wanted anything to do with him beyond using him to facilitate this other murder. It is surprising, but it also makes perfect sense. Uh-huh. Like, what we've learned about this character and what we have seen from her performance so far and how, like, she is just so immediately flirty with Neff and how she is so quick to be on board with this scheme. And I think that, that a lot of that is in... Stanwyck's uh, performance and delivery here. Uh, so I, I think that she kind of holds, she's the glue that holds this movie together and, and kind of makes it function. Yeah, I love her willingness to murder Naf at the end of the movie. <laughs> it's, <laughs> right. so, it's so dark. Right. Yeah. I don't know, I just feel like I picked up on a lot of that kind of stuff through 
like the plot details, some meta aspect of of uh, my understanding of the genre, mm-hmm. um, rather than through her performance. I see, like I, I look at the moments where she is, like where she's having the flirty banter with Naf, or where she's standing really close to him, and I, I, I read a sinisterness in that. Yeah. Right, in in the way that she's delivering a lot of those lines, especially, or at least the shot that I think of, uh, or at least that I associate with this movie. Um, is at the end when she is lounging in her chair. She knows Neff is coming to her house. She has placed the gun under the cushion. And you, you have this great shot where we're looking into the living room through the entryway towards the front door as Neff comes in. And Neff enters. There's these shadows and light against the wall. She's kind of shrouded in shadow as she's lounging and drinking her drink in this chair. And it's just like this perfect noir look. And moment, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, so much of that is just what we have seen from Stanwyck up until that point. I think um, really brings that all together. Yeah, and just even the circumstances around her character, like she has this like younger boyfriend who she's like entrapped into doing other things. So right. she's Plus like her daughter's boyfriend. Like that's yeah. a movie in its own right, right? Like <laughs> yeah. this, they could have had a, a, a movie about that guy and Lowell or whatever her name was. Yeah. And it's just the graduate. Right. And it could have been like this weird more murdery version of the graduate. Um, so yeah, there's that. But yeah, she has like multiple schemes that are happening in play. Right. And you see it all fall apart in front of her, right? Like she's like trying to pull it together and people are starting to feel like Neff is figuring it out. Keys is figuring it out and it's all catching up to her. Lola's figuring it out and like all these things like she can't hold it together and she's like doing her best to to survive. Yeah. Um, and it's it's great. I, I think you see a lot of noir, noir movies where the femme fatale is not drawn that complexly. Mm-hmm. Right? So where, the, where they really are just like the fit into like a damsel role or just like this domineering powerful woman who doesn't really have that much else going on. Kind of happens in Vertigo. Right, yeah. I yeah. mean, Vertigo is doing it for reasons that add the complex, whatever we've talked about Vertigo. <laughs> but yeah. there are many lesser movies that do that. But this, with the Barbara Stanwyck in this movie, I think you see that the, like, how, how many different ways is she motivated in this film, right? Like, so she's motivated to murder her husband, to cover up the murder, to collect the money, to keep Neff's secret, to intimidate Neff to go along with the plan, to continue to go along with the plan, to bring in, to cover up her earlier murder with the, with the original wife. Like, so, she has so much going on and, like, so much, and pulling her in so many different directions. Um, and it, and she makes it, she brings all that together into a coherent character, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's, that's admirable. That's tough work. She's got some strong sunglasses game, too. Yes. <laughs> in this movie. Absolutely. She's in L.A. It's sunny, yeah. right? It's sunny L.A. It is yeah. interesting that, like, usually in a noir film, you, like, investigate a crime and you mm-hmm. find out it's linked to some larger conspiracy, right? But right. I hear the larger conspiracy is this woman this whole time. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good read. Um, yeah, I like that, that it's not... This, it's not a sprawling story, right? It's not about, you know, how this is about the founding of L.A., like Chinatown or anything like that, right? Yeah. It's, this is what happened to these people over the course of a few months, right? And, like, I like the, the intimacy of it. Because it's of the time, though, it kind of does speak to the founding of L.A. Don't Just, like, on. the places that he's going. He's going to the oil fields sure. yep. um, to meet with her husband to... Like sign papers, and mm. um, although that, not really, right? Although not really, <laughs> he lied but, about doing that. But that, like, <laughs> LA is like very like oh, the oil <laughs> development is the reason that like originally people went to LA. That's the oil business brought people there. And yeah, 
and the gold. Yeah, and the movie studios were kind of this like ancillary business that ended up growing into a larger thing. Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting like time capsule. It's like very of its time, and the places that he's like driving around L.A. are like still known. Like they reference like they're at the Hollywood Bowl and they're up above it. Um, Another great the, shot, right? With yeah. Her and the, with him and the daughter. Yeah. Yeah, looking down. I think that's a rear projected shot, though. It doesn't. You might be right. It doesn't look real. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it's it's still like a cool. Yeah, shot. I was into it. Like, it, yeah, fine. It's, it's rear projected. Yeah. Yeah. It was also a scene where you're not sure if the music is from the bowl or if it's part yeah, of the soundtrack. Or not, yeah, yeah, which which isn't it's kind of both, I guess. Right? Yeah, it's not right. they do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, which is fine, but it's neat. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and then they're they're kind of just doing like. It's surprisingly like normal stuff around LA. I think that speaks to like yeah, the fact that he's like an insurance salesman. <laughs> they meet in a like, grocery store yeah. <laughs> all the time. The grocery store is like a very common like place. <laughs> that was yeah. kind of comical as well yeah. where they're trying to secretly talk to each other at the grocery store which is kind of like a yeah. heist movie or secret agent sort of plot yeah, right. trope. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it, like if I feel like you could do that in a diner, you could do that in like a parking garage or somewhere. Yeah. No, they went to the grocery store in the baby food aisle, <laughs> and they're scheming and plotting a murder yeah. and insurance fraud. Um, so yeah, and they keep going back there, right? Like they, yeah. they end up there's like three or four scenes in that grocery store. Yeah, they call each other from there, and yeah, yeah, like, yeah, probably more than three or four. <laughs> there's a lot of scenes in that. Grocery yeah, there's like a funny normalcy to this yeah. movie where they're just like. It's about selling insurance and going to the grocery store. Right. He has to go to the drugstore yeah. and buy a sandwich now and then. Right. <laughs> and yeah. murder. Yeah. 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 He's, yeah. yeah. He has a business trip. Yeah. He, yeah. And just like the incidentalness of like the complications, right? Like this guy, he breaks his leg, right? <laughs> he happens to have broken his leg and that like throws everything off. It's just like these little day to day things. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, uh, how do we feel about, you know, the. The pivotal scene, the the train scene where they they actually pull off their their murder. How did that one play for people? I thought the moment when he was standing at the back of the train and the guy was like chatting him up was pretty intense. Yeah, because yeah. you just know that's going to cause him some trouble down the line, and it did. <clears throat> right, and of course he gets like a super chatty, friendly guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and he's yeah. just trying to awwardly like stand with his back facing him, <clears throat> right, like, not give anything up. Yeah. It he, reminded, did, he did as as good a job as he could. Yeah. Have, have you seen um, the conversation? No. Have you seen the conversation? No. It's super good. Yeah. Uh, it, oh, it, it centers around uh, the the lead character is a uh, like, kind of kind of like a spy, but he he does audio uh, wiring and things like that um, to record people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the scene opens with him trying to do that in a crowded park, and there's a mime in the park, and of course the mime picks him out to like be the one to play with from the audience <laughs> and like won't leave him alone. And it's like played for laughs. Like the one guy that wants to be anonymous and left alone is the one that gets picked down by the mind. And yep. I was reminded of that here. It's like, here's the one guy that just like wants everyone to leave him alone and just be out here by himself so he can do this thing. And he matches to run into like the super chat. I mean, their plan involves going out to a public place and not being seen. So, yeah, right. I mean, right. There's, there's a very real chance that someone's going to be hanging out there. Right. What are you going to do? Let's do? Like, they need to be seen, but also need to not be seen at the same time, right? Because they need to. They, they need, need to be seen on the train, but not on the, the right. Deck. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty fine. Uh, he, he, he's lucky the guy didn't like come back and be like, "Sir, what kind of cigar do you want again?" <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's like he's gone. Oh wait, there he is. <laughs> he's fine. But yeah, I think that's another great example of like the tension in this 
movie. Where yeah. It's like, is it going to happen here? Like, you just don't know. Like, right. Or well, some, let, is something going to go wrong? Are they going to have to change the plan in some way? They also, like, they let you in on the fact that they're going to kill him. Yeah. But, but they don't say how. Yeah. And then, so, like, how it plays out is is That was a bit unexpected. Yeah. That they were just going to garrote him in the car. Yeah. But they... That's what I thought they did. Like, I thought he just had piano wire and did is it. That but they, the, that can't be what actually happened because... Oh, yeah. The medical report, they say that the medical report said he broke his neck when he fell off the train, right? Like, it wouldn't make any sense for their plan if he shows up on the train tracks that's with true. a slit throat, right? Like, that's, that doesn't happen when you fall off a train. So it had to have been that he literally broke his neck in the car from behind. And I frankly don't know how you do that, physically pull that off. It's, it's some assassin stuff. But that is, that is gruesome. I don't know, he had like a... An implement that looked like the wire. Yeah, right? that's, I had something that he was holding his neck with. Yeah, I, I think I saw it too, and I'm glad someone can corroborate me. But that can't be. It can't have been a slip yeah, throat that killed. It him. would have been too obvious for the investigators. Yeah, there's no way that they would have pulled that off. Um, so yeah, that means that when because the the that actual moment he is murdered is shot in an interesting way because they just keep the frame on a close shot on Barbara Stanwyck, like as her husband is apparently having his neck broken next to her and you see like this almost a little bit of satisfaction on her face <laughs> like she's kind of like eerily pleased about it yeah and like i think it'd been easy to overplay that moment well yeah i mean her character is meant to be like this evil psychopath so right but we're not like in on how much of an evil psychopath she is at that point right like yeah, yeah. i mean we know that she's gonna kill her husband and like that you have to be yeah she evil. seems like I don't know, relatively vulnerable in that she's like yeah. in a toxic relationship mm-hmm. and that she wants to get out of, and so we're saving her from right. this like bad dude, right? Right, but that's like one of the early clear hints that maybe there's something going on with this woman that she's not telling us, and it's played really subtly. Yeah, like, and then you find out she probably killed the ex-wife. Right, right. And wasn't that great? Oh, yeah. And took her place. Yeah, yeah. yeah she certainly did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Indisputably, yeah. that's what happened in this universe. Um, but yeah, just another good moment from Barbara Stanwyck. Um, and yeah, I was wondering about the logistics of exactly how he killed this man. <laughs> like, did he, maybe he smothered him and then they broke his neck afterwards? They could. Possible. That's possible. Um, oh, and then after. They set it up. They go to start the car, and it doesn't <laughs> start. start. And that was like another like great. <laughs> yeah, I, it great might not have been an overused trope back then, but it is now. So right. well, I'm a little tired of that. Yeah, but it's for me. It still works so well there. Like you can see them like gradually realize that oh wait, there's something wrong with the car. Oh wait, there's still something wrong with the car. And yeah, like, I, I mean, they even used it on a recent episode of Black Mirror, and I was like super annoyed by it. Like <laughs> the main one of the main characters in the episode is driving an electric car. Uh, and she's trying to get away from, like, a murderer, and she jumps into the car, and it won't fucking start. No, those electric cars aren't very reliable. This yeah, was like, like a come on. Cadillac or something. And no, of course, this is, like, one of those cars you'd have to, like, you can't, like, flood the engine. Oh, no, like, okay. This, it would have been harder to start a car. Of course, they have to have the bit where the man has yeah. to step in and right, start and the he, car. Yeah, right, and he's the one that gets it to work. He <laughs> turned I, the thing right. Yeah. yeah. I bet it's a manual transition, but on the steering column, too. Okay. Um, so the instead of having a stick shift, the shift is on. The oh, wait, I know column, what you're talking about. Yeah, which it's is still manual. Yeah, yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, it was one of those old timey cars. Um, yeah. And speaking of which, this is technically a period piece. It takes place a few years. It takes place in 1936, so a few years before um, it was actually 
made. Yeah, 44. So. In 44. So I'm maybe even closer to 10 years. Um, interesting choice. Is it that meaningful for it to be slightly in the past of... I, I don't know. I don't know, honestly. Um, but it's a choice that I the mean, director it's, made. It's pre-World War Two, I guess. But yeah. I don't think L.A. was transformed that much from World War Two, was it? Uh, I mean, I think just not being during the war. Yeah. Or right as the U.S. is getting into it. So maybe that's why they did it, so that they didn't have to worry about, like, the logistics. Yeah, we don't have to, like, deal with war politics. Yeah, within the all. film. Um, yeah. But it's still... It, it, the more natural choice is always to just set your, your movie when, during present day, unless there's a reason not to. And they didn't here. And I am not super clear on why. Because um, well, the U.S. gets into the war in 44, right? After the Pearl after Harbor attack? Pearl Harbor, yeah. Is that That's the correct right. timeline? Like 41. Is it 41? Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure. All right, this is us sounding care. dumb, so I'll look it up. <laughs> Um, okay. And this is something we, we can cut we, out. We can cut out the dumb D-Day stuff later. D-Day was 44. Oh, maybe that's what we're thinking of? Okay. You're right. Okay, so U.S. gets in in 1939. Okay, so I bet <laughs> my money is the reason to do it is first, you don't have to acknowledge, like, war politics, which yeah. is fine. That allows yeah. you just to, like, focus on your story. And it may just make more sense that there's just, like, a lot of men around. Sure. And that might not be the case that's, during that's the war. That's what I was thinking, when, too, they all got... Away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like every single insurance clerk and salesman and investor at that rest, at that company is the dude. Every, yeah. Every single one. There might have been a secretary or something that was. Would they have been too old to be drafted for the war, or did they draft old people too? No, you could go older, and a lot of people volunteered too. Yeah. Uh, okay. Even though they were older, Edward um, G. Robinson was probably too old. I'm sure he was yeah. too old. He was born in 19. No, he was working in like 1908. I, I looked at his time. Was he? The, is he that old? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess he, he looked like he was in his fifties. Yeah, movie. his earliest credit was nineteen oh eight. I think when I wow. was looking it up, my I MDB seems to reset. I think that's when McMurray was born. So, yeah, but he was still in his forties when he did this film, right? Yeah. Um, so let's see. So Edward G. Robinson was born in eighteen ninety three, and his earliest credit, I believe, was nineteen oh eight. Wow. So he's like silent film mayor actor. <laughs> that is true. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, I think that Stanwick and McMurray are basically the same age, like are within a few years of each other. Which were is, they? Because I swore Neff looked super old. Yeah, he looked really old. <laughs> yeah. They. Well, okay. We can we can investigate this too. He was born in 1908, and she was born in 1907. So, oh. yeah, the, she. The gap looked huge. So yeah, I, I agree, and I was surprised when I saw that too. But it's interesting that they cast it that way. Right, because I think that in this era, in the present era as well, but certainly back in the 30s and the 40s, the uh, significant age gaps between male and female stars was common. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we have this uh, really no gap. It's a year, right? Um, now they're presented. She's presented as pretty young for her age, and he's might be presented as a little bit o- old for his age. Yeah. Uh, but the actual actors are not that far apart. Um, I think there's a few reasons to do that. One of them is that she was just good for the role. He was good mm-hmm. for the role. Another one is that there is there are a few hints throughout the movie that Neff is going to end up with the daughter, right? And I think that yeah, they can, they go up, like out for a while, right? And it, it works out to be chased. Like nothing actually ever happens, and he ends up sending the other guy back to her at the end of the film. But it, I would be surprised if there were a single audience member who didn't at least think, "Man, they're going to end up they're going to end up as an item." 
And that subplot just seems strange to me. The whole subplot with the daughter and her boyfriend being in, and the boyfriend being involved with um, Stanwick mm-hmm. seems strange to me. Well, they, they needed a way to show that she had murdered the ex-wife. Yeah. And I think that was like the vehicle for that. What was interesting, though, is that the daughter's boyfriend, we knew a lot about him before we ever see him. And he, yeah. we only see him like very briefly in the yeah. film. He has like two or three scenes. But we know like a lot about him. He's a like, student. He, yeah. or he's a former student. He dropped out of yeah. his pre-med program. He's a bad boyfriend. He's a bad, he's a bad boyfriend. <laughs> he's a bad influence. Like, yeah. yeah according and, to the, you know, kind of a dick. The father. Um, and... But then we find yeah. out later when he's like going out with the daughter that he's like, she realized that the boyfriend was cheating on her with her stepmom. Um, so we like we knew all, it was like really interesting to see this like character built up. Yeah. And then when he finally interacts with Neff, and you think that like Neff is gonna like kill him or something. Yeah. Just like Neff like kind of yeah. saves him and like. Yeah, literally saves like, his life. Yeah, right? like he was probably going to end up dead at some point because I think that's the other thing they were setting up there. Yeah, is that Barbara Stanner, even though this scheme hasn't resolved yet, she's already moving on to the next one, mm-hmm. right? Like she's moving on to her next target, and whatever she had planned for that guy, it's not even that clear. But that's not important. Um, and I think that that that's the function of this character is to say, like, look at it, she she's just always on the prowl for the, for the next target, and here he okay. is, right? Um, and so the, I think that adds this. More complexity to the the Barbara Stanwyck character um, that that worked for me. I thought really maybe well. she's just got some sort of horrible vendetta against the daughter because everyone she's been scheming with is connected yeah. to the daughter. Yeah, that's true. She screws up that daughter's life. Yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That poor girl. She's, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's part of the like part of what uh, Billy Wilder is playing up with the suggested relationship between the daughter and and the uh, Neff is. It, He's playing on our assumption that he will function as the savior, right? That he that he will come in and rescue the young virginal damsel from this evil harpy who is mm-hmm. murdering everybody. Um, and so the age difference. So, so they're playing on the age difference there. That like he is going. He's going after someone younger and more pure, mm-hmm. as opposed to older and and spoiled. Um, so I think that's part of it. The the age gap. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, this is a Billy Wilder movie. Yeah, yeah. I don't know a huge amount about Billy Wilder. I have seen a fair number of Billy Wilder films. Um, he is a fantastic director, yeah. um, and I think that he. I mean, yeah, yeah. Have you seen The Apartment? It's probably his most famous. Uh, Some like it hot. Uh, this movie is probably number Sunset three. Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Um, so I. We we've talked about uh, Jonathan Demme when we did the. Um, Sounds of the Lambs episode, and I think one of the points that we raised is that Demi, despite being a very talented uh, actor or director, isn't remembered alongside of other uh, alongside his peers mm-hmm. because he doesn't have an identifiable style. He mm-hmm. he doesn't like he's not a, a Kubrick or a or a Scorsese where you can say like this is the type of movie he makes. This is what his movies look like. I think Billy Wilder falls into a similar category where he's okay. not as easy to classify. Because he's making this noir classic, he's making what was voted the funniest movie of all time in *Someone Like It Hot*. 
he's making this, uh, you know, old Hollywood, you know, character study with Sunset Boulevard. He directed the original Casino Royale too. Yeah, the first, exactly. the first Bond movie. Right. So he's making all these. He's making. Oh, and Ocean's movie. Eleven. I've seen Ocean's Eleven. Me too. Um, it's good. Yeah. So I, and to me, that's what's so remarkable about Billy Wilder is that he has such dexterity as a filmmaker, and he's you're, he's not going to put himself into the film. He's not going to inject his own style. He's going to let the what what's happening on screen speak for itself and just be efficient, effective, clear storytelling. And you see it over and over again in just one well-made, well-regarded movie after another. Um, and, and this is one of them. So I think we need to work in more more Billy Wilder movies. Ocean's Eleven is a good pick. Yeah, Ocean's Eleven's awesome. Yeah. Uh, the original is really, really good. Yeah, it's such a great Rat Pack movie. Yeah. Right, like kind of <laughs> the Rat Pack movie. I yeah. It's not like rated particularly high. Right, but, um, it, it's, but it's still like a fun It's movie. a blast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you seen, Charles, have you seen any Frank Sinatra movies? Any of those guys? Nope, the, I don't think so. Dean Martin. Dean Martin's in that one, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, we should do one of those. Like, that's that movie is a lot of fun. Sammy um, Davis Jr. is in it. Who is? Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other member of the Rat Pack. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that that's... Uh, I mean, I, it, Billy Wilder is well-regarded and well-remembered, but I think one of the reasons that he's not necessarily placed alongside some of his contemporaries and some more recent identifiable directors is is that is that he yeah. can't say like a Hitchcock you can't say he's the guy that does thrillers like John Ford you can't say he makes westerns he does all of it like he just right. makes everything um, and uh, for my money he's one of the best ever I yeah think. I'm looking at his films and they're it's stunning right like one after another after another it's just like yeah this is great this is great this yeah is great. and he's all these even the actors too they're all like really hard working like you look at their credits and like the guy um, Wilder has like three movies in 1940, a few mm-hmm. in 41, a few in 42. So like yeah. that's that's a lot of work he, for yeah, a director. Those are a lot. Yeah. yeah. And he wrote and, a lot of these films too. Yeah. Um, he has a writing credit on and this one. Fred oh. McMurray has like five credits in like 1944 mm-hmm. and like yeah. They really cranked them out back then. They, they really did. They really did. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's it, a volume business. <laughs> yeah. 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 And they were working their way out of that, right? But they weren't nowhere near to actually being out of it. And yeah, you can see it in just how hard these guys work. Did, like, did that translate to more movies being released, or were there like fewer studios so that counteracts it compared to like today? That's a good question. I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. I know that like it would be easier like if you wanted to like shoot a movie because like you, yeah. there's just like a set. Right. You, there's bad. like a set carpenter waiting for you and like a sound guy <laughs> waiting for you like yeah, all these things, things were a lot simpler yeah now yeah. All, like that's all outsourced in the studio system you just walk into a studio and they got everything you could possibly ever need to make a movie and yeah. you sit down and make a movie yeah and, I mean, although yeah. on the other hand um, yeah. it now it is in some ways a lot easier to make a movie because the equipment is so much cheaper yeah, yeah like, that is true yeah. right like yeah. you, you look at a movie like tangerine that was shot on an iphone right like that kind of thing was not possible. Yeah, you don't need like a financial backer to put down five million dollars. Exactly. And, like you can, yeah. you can just you know get a camera and shoot it in your alley or whatever. I didn't like hear that. about that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, Tangerine is great. It's the same guy that directed Florida Project. It was a certain, the movie before that um, that he shot the whole thing on an iPhone, uh, and he brought that back at the very end of Florida Project. He shot the last scene on his iPhone again, um, kind of as an homage to his earlier work, um, and it works. Like it, it looks like a movie. <laughs> it just yeah. it functions. Um, but yeah, so Billy Wilder, I think, is fantastic. And we have not mentioned The Apartment, um, which is this uh, 
you know, proto-feminist romantic comedy that is way more complex than it sounds. Uh, that you know, stars Jack Lemmon and Shirley mm. MacLaine's first role, I think. Yeah. He, he, he finds all these perfect people for these roles. Excellent caster, ex excellent writer, and just a, such a lack of ego in his filmmaking. Okay. Right. That I think is it, it, so impressive uh, to me. Uh, so he reminds me of Demi in a lot of ways. This movie's a bit more sexist. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. the Apartment, yeah. The Apartment came along much later. Yeah, because Neff, yeah. Neff is kind of played as someone who's like, he's been played as a sucker by yeah. uh, Barbara Sandwick's character. Yeah. Miss, Phyllis? Mrs. Dietrichson. Phyllis, yeah. Phyllis. The, the least sexy name <laughs> And she's, up there. Yeah. she's the like scheming <laughs> and evil one, and, mm -hmm. and Neff is just kind of just a tool for her to to use and play right. well, and, and he does his like he's doing it out of love and she's doing it purely for money for greed yeah um, and, and so, he has this moment of redemption at the end of the movie Neff does right where he he dies like having given up uh, having killed Stanwyck and like told ever confessed his crimes and all this like so he gets to die like as, as a redeemed man yeah she does not get that opportunity yeah <laughs> she's like kind of this like scheming spider that just like sits in the house waiting for men to come in and manipulate yeah and like, yeah uh, in many many ways that's exactly what happens yeah so the gender politics are a little messed up but, yeah although you've uh, got to wonder about like what her plan was because you know that like as soon as she's introduced she wants to get rid of the husband like and that clearly has been in her mind for a long time yeah was she just waiting for someone to show up yeah. to yeah. do that with yeah. because she, she let the insurance labs so that they were right? the salesman <laughs> right like yeah. would she just like oh here's the, here's the guy like this is the one I'm going to do it with because he's here I think yeah. it's just opportunity right well yeah. she had the plan but not the means and right and like but there's no way she had that plan especially since it was his plan like yeah. he came up with it because you need to know all this insurance stuff to yeah. make it work because uh, she didn't even know about the devil indemnity clause he, that was maybe he idea. offered and she took advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, maybe. But it, 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 the first thing, thing she does almost is complain about her husband, right? And complain that he's neglectful. And, like, she sets him up for... Yeah. Like, I think the first time you want... a little strange. She, like, inceptions him and is like... <laughs> right? She's like, here's the scheme. Right, like, well, the, like, the best cons... And he's the one that, like, works out the details. Yeah, the best cons are the ones where you get the mark to... Uh, to suggest the the scheme, yeah, right? and that's exactly what happens here in a lot of ways. Um, so that was that worked well for me. Yeah, so I checked on the dollar amounts in the film, okay. which I'm always like fascinated by. Oh, like um, how much a hundred thousand dollars actually is in in forty. I checked forty four. I guess I should should check thirty six. Right. Um, so their house is like. He's really impressed by it, and he's like, "Oh, this is like a thirty thousand dollar house." <laughs> yeah, and Which uh, I'm sure now it's like a three million dollar house or something. No, I checked; it would only be about five hundred thousand dollars in. Right, but that actual um, house is probably worth way more than that. Yeah. Of, <laughs> right. of course, but yeah. it goes to show, like, right, the how realty's like increased in in value. Yeah, yeah, oh, uh, and the money, the hundred thousand dollars that they were going to get must be. Um, so I checked into that. So yeah. the fifty thousand dollars. In the original contract, would be about eight hundred thousand dollars, and the double indemnity would have paid out one point six million. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that sets you up pretty well. It's probably payday. 
Yeah, but still, like, to murder someone. And, like, I'm, it's I'm a not lot. saying they were right. Actually, Plus, she had a point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you got to split it two ways. And, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> You're saying your price would be higher if you, if you had to knock someone off. I, 1.6 million is, like, an attainable amount of money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know it's out of the reach of, like, most people, but it's, like, 0.5% of like a Powerball lottery payout. Yeah. <laughs> so, but what would your price be if you had a, to pull off this game? What would, how much would it take? I think you have to set it up so you get enough money to like set yourself up for life, right? Because you're going to be on the run. Right. Yeah. But I don't, I don't even know what their plan is then because it's not like credit cards existed, right? So like how do you, are you just going to carry this cash around you? Like to because <laughs> his eventual plan is to run to Mexico. I don't. They, uh, but they don't need to. The plan was to get away with it, right? The plan was that they weren't going to yeah. be arrested. They don't have to run away from anything. They can just put it's it in just a bank. Be a normal insurance claim. Yeah. yeah, but then what do you do with? Like he can't access it. It goes to her. Right. They would like, have to like go somewhere else. They'd have to get together, and right. then it would be obvious. Like, but, right, but yeah. like once it pays out, right? Or maybe you just wait for the statute of limitations to run. I don't know what the, that is on. I don't know. Program. I mean, his eventual plan is to run in Mexico, right? Which I thought was a nice like throwback. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess yeah, that wasn't super clear. I think he just found Barbara Stanwyck really attractive with this. I mean, I guess you could sense. during this time period, if a house thirty thousand dollars, you can get by on yeah on a hundred thousand. Yeah, well, like, pretty just pretty high. well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I was fascinated by that. <laughs> <laughs> like, what happens next? Well, just the pettiness of something to kill somebody over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and so you don't have a number. I mean, you need enough to like so five save yourself up five for, forever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, um, but yeah, I guess I, I hadn't I hadn't thought about all that uh, too hard. But yeah, you raise a good point. <laughs> You'd be worried if he quickly came up with an exact number. Right? It's like, oh yeah, it's this much. <laughs> yeah. you guys are gone. Or I mean, they, nobody offers me this. <laughs> but for Neff, though, like it is like a crime of passion, right? Like he's doing it. He's been inspired by this woman. Yeah, I mean, it depends what you mean by crime of passion in the sense that he feels passionate about sleeping with Barbara Stanwyck. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's that. doing it out of, like, he's he's fallen for this woman. Right. And that's, like, what he's doing it for. Yeah, but a lot Not of... Not, like, the normal definition of crime okay. of passion is, like, you get angry and you, act, like, you kill somebody in, in the, the moment. Heat, yeah, the that's, passion. Yeah, okay. So I'm... Mit, that <laughs> definition I'm using incorrectly. Okay, it's a term um, of art. <laughs> but he's, he's doing it because he's... He's fallen for this right. woman. Right. Which he's, I felt uh, unconvinced by. I don't know. They they met like twice and then now he's head over heels in love with her. Yeah, they, pretty... yeah they kind of you know need you to go along with it a little bit there. Um, and I think it makes more sense on subsequent viewings because you know Barbara Stanwyck isn't actually into him. Um, so in that sense, yeah. like I, Right. In hindsight, yeah. it made a bit more sense... Um, because of knowing that, but yeah. again, like he still legitimately falls for her. Yeah, that, that you kind of. But at the beginning, he's like, around. he's putting on these like super creepy advances. Yep. On yeah. her, he went yeah. right for it, yeah. knowing that she has a husband. But then maybe that like, the fact that she responded positively to that was surprising and like made him like double down on like, <laughs> yeah, like all right, this yeah, is, this is working. Yeah. <laughs> so this was probably a relic of the time, but. Yeah. It, really bothered me that he kept calling her baby. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. It was like kind of disturbing to me. Yeah. He it did. just seemed really gross. Right. And it kind of his like, whole come on is very gross. Yeah. 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 But still very noirish, right? Yeah. Like, in that it, it, 
noir's often a very sexualized the, genre. Yeah. The maid knows that he's a creep, which is really funny because she's <laughs> like, "You can go to the den. All the alcohol is locked up." <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, you yeah. crook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was funny. I, I think like, which I guess is like a traveling salesman. That's that yeah, is like, yeah, a, although he's not a traveling salesman, he has an office. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a stationary salesman. Um, <laughs> but he's still an insurance salesman. Like, yes, yeah. he is door to door. Yeah, uh, but like returning to the constant references to her being baby, I think it emphasizes the age similarity. Weirdly, right, like that he's infantilizing this woman who is essentially his age. Right, is and she's I totally it playing. Accentuated him. Their the appearance of age difference, like yeah. like I said before, they look like there was a huge age gap. He, yeah, he. Uh, I said this earlier, but he looks like a lot older than yeah. she does. Like he's been yeah. through the ringer. Yeah, and, and calling like, her baby and yeah. being creepy just made it seem much more likely that there was a huge age gap. Yeah, and, and then it turns out there's another huge age yeah. gap between yeah. Barbara Stanwyck and her husband that ends up dead. Um, yeah, I also think it's uh, interesting. Which he lived until the '90s too, which is oh, like yeah? there, he made it to like '91 or something. Wow. So he's like, been quite elderly at that point. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he's ancient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, and he worked until like the mid '70s or something. Wow, all all these actors did. They were like really like workaday actors. Like that's yeah. I mean, you must have had like what do you do with the money at that point? Right. Like, just, well, they probably weren't getting paid very much I, I in like not. the early films. Yeah, but right. again, a house is like thirty thousand dollars, so you can live like a king on, <laughs> you know, what they're making. And you're working day actors, cool. and they're um, not in Europe blowing up Nazis. That's so. true. Yeah, that's yeah. a big upside. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge upside. Yeah. Um, and the uh, what's his face? The older guy, um, Edward G. Robinson. Edward G. Robinson. Um, even he was working into the seventies, and really? he's like much older. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. He um, his last film was uh, Soylent. In '73, Soylent Green. Soylent Green. Yeah, he's wow. the older guy in Soylent Green. Yeah, you're right. He is. Who like remember? He like in that movie, he like remembers the old world because it's like after the apocalypse, like, which is probably pretty similar to <laughs> Edward G. Robinson's actual experience. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen Soylent Green, Charles? No, but do you know? I know the thing. We've been thing. through this. Yeah. Oh, have we? okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, he he knows what Did it we is. Get through yeah. that one. Okay. Yeah, we we I, I get it mixed up with Citizen Kane all the time because they're often. Combined in the spoiler reference sort of things. Oh, that okay. They just like, th- there's things that like have just a bunch of spoilers listed. Yeah, and like Planet of the Apes. The other yeah, one. And yeah, they have that in like Star Wars and then like Citizen Kane in this. Yeah. Okay. And like some other. Have you seen the OG Planet of the Apes? No, I haven't seen any of them. Really? really? Not yeah. even the new. No, I never got Those are actually really those. good. The new, yeah. yeah, the new ones are good and the original one's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the first one. Yeah. Destin. Yeah, although I yeah. mean, I wonder how it would play now since. You, like it's a twist. It's like a big reveal at the very end of the movie. Yeah, what's going on? And so I wonder like how that would play out now, right? And like it's also a, no, no, you need to like show it to kids, right? And <laughs> you'd also or Charles, to, do you know what the twist is? In I know. Of the apes? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. like there's a reveal where the apes can talk. Like that's a thing. Yeah. And like where the apes figure out that he can talk, and like like it's all this stuff that's supposed to be like these big moments that like everybody kind of knows now, even if they haven't seen it. Yeah. I wonder how that would how that would feel. I remember there's an episode of uh, Mad Men where the lead character and his son go and see Planet of the Apes for the first time, and they show him in the theater afterwards, and they're both just like blown away. <laughs> like, they, like, like, that's the best movie I've ever seen, <laughs> and they like they can't handle the. Well, the effects for the time were yeah. wild. Yeah, for that movie, right? And, and they they pulled up well for just like rubber masks. Like, yeah, well, and the sets too, like the Statue of Liberty being buried like that. Like, yeah, it's cool. It's big. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Maybe we should put that one on the list. That was 
Yeah. Just see how it works now. Um, and the new one was good too, the War of the Planet of the Apes. The Franco with, series? The, well, Franco was only in one of them, then he, yeah. then he dies. But um, I haven't, <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen the like most recent one, but it was like really well reviewed. I liked like, it. Reviewed. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, was, it was good. Um, feels like a war movie in a lot of ways. So Barbara Stanwyck was in a bunch of TV shows at the end of her... Yeah, she was one where... For, she, like, a lot of her career, actually. There was one that she was, like, pretty well-known for, right? Like, that she was on for years and years that I do not remember the name of. Uh, but, yeah, she made a... A lot of these guys made a name in TV afterwards. Um, the Colbys? Okay. She was Constance Colby? It looks like a soap opera. Okay, maybe that was what I was thinking of. She was in Dynasty. Oh, which I think is a Dynasty spinoff. Oh, okay. That would, I guess, make sense. Oh, The Big Valley looks like a Western show. That might have been 112 episodes. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. She yeah. showed her any of these. I don't know anything about media before like 1960. Well, you do yeah. now. That's the point. That's what we're doing here. That's yeah. the whole exercise. <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, anyway, yeah, she, she did a lot of work. A lot of these guys did. Um, and anyway, uh, any. Yeah, she's in a ton of stuff. Any uh, closing thoughts on. Or anything we haven't touched on on, uh, on Double Indemnity that you liked or didn't like? Uh, you, I'm not really sure why I just wasn't grabbed by this movie. I don't know either. Uh, I think this movie's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Did you play L.A. Noir? Yeah. Um, there's a reference. There's a lot of references to this movie in that. Um, oh, yeah. you off the, like, one of your police stations is laid out like the insurance oh, agency true. in oh. this movie. <laughs> yeah, and it's, like, very distinct. That like the kind of like rimmed uh, walkway above the pit. Yeah. It's, the, it's cool. one of the police stations is designed exactly like this. Yeah, it's it's a cool look. Yeah, right? like it, it is distinctive and it does, you know. Yeah, I played it's memorable. I played Ellie Noir before and seeing. The, there's like an insurance agency yeah. like subplot to a few of the missions in. Yeah, because I think one of the plots was yeah. like destroying some construction to collect insurance on it or something. like Yes. That. Yeah. And I think that's around the same time that you like unlock that like station. So okay. the references, the references oh. specifically this movie, <laughs> yeah, nice. okay, yeah, among other movies. But there, there are a lot of references to this movie in L.A. Noir. Yeah, I mean L.A. Noir that pulls from tons of noir. Yeah, it pulls from the whole genre. Yeah, like that's the. I mean, Chinatown's in there. This movie's in there. I think Maltese Falcon might be in there. It's got to be. Yeah, Big Sleep, like. Yeah, it's all over. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Raymond Chandler has a writing credit on this movie. Yes, um, which I thought was neat. Yeah, um, it, he's he's an impressive writer. Like if you, it, I mean, he's famous for like Big Sleep and stuff like that. But if you ever read any of his his short stories, also just excellent, excellent yeah. work. Like he's and he's another one that just is a worker. Mm -hmm. He shows up on more movies than you expect, uh, despite being known as a novelist. Yeah, yeah. Um, Barbara Stanwyck also lived into the nineties. Yeah, that one I knew. She was um, around for a long time. So this is a, l a lot of longevity in this cast. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's true. And Billy Wilder, which is amazing because they smoke the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably because they just actually smoke in real life. They he always had his his suave like match move. That was so cool. Yeah, I he... I wasn't sure if it was gonna like lead to something, but it was just his character. Yeah. It's just like, a little thing. signature. Yeah. yeah, it didn't end up like being anything. So yeah. I think it's before like fire regulations because even oh, yeah. the the. Um, Keys says that like I don't use this matches because they set on fire in my pockets. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good reason, actually. Yeah, because yeah. he, he's able to flick it so easily, and you can't do that with matches. Right. Now. Yeah, yeah. So 
I mean, it, it does get a little call. It does yeah. get a little callback at the end when um, Neff is dying and Edward G. Robin, the Keys character, lights does him. it for him. Does it for him? Yeah, which was a yeah, I guess, but it didn't moment. amount to like a more significant no. plot detail no. that I thought it was building up to because it was featured so prominently. Yeah, no, no, it's just a cool little signature thing. Yeah, yeah. I like how Keys is like so disappointed by him at the end of the movie too, yeah. where he's just like, he's like, are you gonna? Like patch me up so I can walk into the gas chamber in yeah. San Quentin, and he's like, "Yeah, something like that." <laughs> yeah, that's the <laughs> idea. Like, yeah, this like friendship is over. Right. Well, yeah. it it, it yeah. almost felt like a kind of a father son relationship, right? He saw him as a protege. He was looking out for. Uh, he wanted to like bring him into the the um, adjuster side of the business and get yeah. away from sales and like groom him to come up and and, and he turns him down. And his uh, Keys's partner had. Said we should investigate this guy, and he like yeah. vouched for his character. Yeah, yeah. So he. Oh, this reminds me. Um, yeah. The insurance president guy. Yeah. Gives a really cartoonishly bad performance. Yeah, he wasn't great. He was like so over the top. Yeah, he was not the. Thankfully, best. it was a tiny role. I just it stood out to me. Yeah, like and that feels like something where where Billy Wilder probably should have said, "Let's let's get another take." Yeah, <laughs> in that one. But, and they uh, purposely kind of make him look dumb. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he, he, especially next to like everybody else in the room, because you know he's getting yeah. outwitted by Barbara Stanwyck. You know that he ha- he has the least information in the room. Yeah, out of everybody there. Um, so yeah, they kind of go out of the way to make the bosses look like dopes. Yeah, because um, it's it's really you know the the workaday. They imply adjuster. too that he like inherited the company. Yeah, yeah, and doesn't uh, know anything about the insurance in- industry. And yes, you have this moment where yeah. Edward G. Robinson is like rattling off all these insurance stats that he just isn't aware of at all. Um, so, like, kind of the beginning of the, the actuary uh, job. Um, so, yeah, it, that, that guy, I think, was made to look kind of dopey, but it was still kind of a jarring yeah. delivery for some of the lines. And he's in and out of the movie. He's just in for that, like, short Yeah, he has that moment. Arc. I think that was his yeah. only scene, thankfully. Yeah, yeah so. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, and I think that's part of the point, too, like, the, that the bosses are hands-off, and it's like these, you know, uh, they're almost like police officers or private eyes, really, that can kind of go out into the city and solve crimes and get to the bottom of things because being an insurance adjuster is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. The movie, the language in the movie also reminded me a lot of Brick. Sure. Um, yeah. The, like, sort of fake fake noir language that they have in Brick is, yeah. like, pulling a lot from this. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, all the slang that they use and, like, the way right. that they talk even is, like, really fast and, like, they use all this lingo and... Right. And um, they only really explain parts of the lingo. Yeah, like yeah. you're yeah, you're meant to just pick it up, and you do. Like it's it's not as thick as it is in Brick, because mm-hmm. um, it's not the point like it is in Brick. Mm-hmm. Uh, here it's just it, I don't I don't want to say it feels natural because it doesn't. Like it mm-hmm. does feel like it's in a movie and part of this thing, but if is easier to follow. Clearer. Yeah, even like the names of the characters, like Keys and Neff, and the, yeah. they call her Baby. Um, like that's all something that like you could see in Brick. Yeah. Well, and the and the yeah. names themselves kind of call. Like identify the characters and characters themselves. Neff sounds like nefarious, like he's up to something. Keys, he's the key to solving the investigation, right? Like yeah. they have like these little hints within the <laughs> the, the characters' names, um, which I, I'm sure it's not uh, an accident. Yeah. And the the bad boyfriend is Nino. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is smaller, right? It, it it accentuates his youth, I think. I think it's also, it might be like an Italian reference where he's like sure. kind of like a youth criminal and they're kind of like, yeah, just, they're implying that he's Italian. Yeah, which is some light, some a little like anti-Italian, <laughs> but it's like the height of World War II. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, so this is a, a medium on double yeah, indemnity. I guess so. We didn't I mean, persuade you for some reason outside of like maybe two or three pretty tense scenes. I just didn't feel that absorbed in the movie. Uh, I think part of it is my complaint earlier about uh, knowing the ending, kind of deflating a lot of the tension yeah. um, because you know that it's not going to go well. There's no uncertainty to that. Um, part of it might just be like it being an old movie. Old movies are great. Yeah, I know, but they're, they're made a different way, and maybe have a harder time being absorbed in that. Um, yeah, and like you, you keep talking about the great performances of the two leads, and I guess I just didn't really notice that, and so I just didn't feel that absorbed into that either. It's a bummer. <laughs> what's, what's your defense of why should people watch Double Indemnity? Why is Charles wrong? <laughs> I think um, I think it's a pretty engaging movie, even yeah. though it's like from the forties. It's like. Is, I think it's a very engaging film, and the I like the intensity of it. And I, I, I think this is a kind of acting that you really don't see anymore. And it's true. it's a nice like throwback, actually. That yeah. like it's clear that these are characters, but it, they're like they're fun and interesting characters. Yeah, and it's one story, right? I like that it's just like this moment yeah. in these people's lives that are doing this event, and like you get the idea that there is other stuff going on. Um, yeah, it doesn't really matter, right? It's yeah. just the whole story is what's important. Yeah, exactly. And I like yeah. <laughs> Keys. This is a total aside. The <laughs> Keys character kept referring to his little man, and every yeah. which he means is like his like inner. He's kind of, he's like uh, gay. Yeah, but I laughed every time he said that. <laughs> every time he said little yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> when he first says it, I was like, "What?" Yeah. Well, I mean, because it's an important idea in the movie, right? That because what eventually moves uh, Neff to confess and kill. Phyllis is the little man, is the guilt, right? Like, he, he eventually starts feeling bad about it and feeling bad. That's why he gives Nino the money at the end and turns him away, and that's why he looks after the daughter, right? Because he feels bad about what he did. Uh, and so really, like, the, the little man is a pretty important part of the movie, despite that framing device. <laughs> yeah. The phrases made me laugh <laughs> every time they said it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. <laughs> yep. um, anyway, I'm up next, right? Yeah, you're you're up next. Okay, so um, I watched. We, we did two in a row in the forties. Right, I'm, in the early forties. I'm leaving the forties. So okay, we're, we're moving <laughs> a, a little bit further ahead. Um, so I watched the Post recently, um, which is about the Washington Post and them revealing the Pentagon Papers and function. Future best picture winner, put the Post. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Dunkirk, and I think I'm wrong. Like Dunkirk hasn't been getting any buzz. The Post is, I think, a pretty good shot. Um, but in any event, it functions as a prequel to All the President's Men. So I think that's what we should do next. All the President's Men about the Watergate uh, scandal is a great movie. Uh, I don't think we've watched any Paul Newman yet, which is a tragedy because he's fantastic. Right. Or no, not Paul Newman, Robert Redford. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is Redford. Redford. They are often paired, but this one is Redford. Um, Charles would so, like Newman. He's a car racer. Newman's great. He's a car Every, racer and a watch aficionado. And a Greek god. So there is And a... That. The salad dressing tycoon. Yep. He was also on Nixon's enemies list. Yeah. Yeah. The, Nixon had a list of his oh, worst yeah. enemies, and Mark, Paul Newman was on there. He said he was very proud of that. Which is important to this film. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, although this is Redford, not Newman. Yeah. Um, we'll have to find some. We'll have to find some Newman movies. Uh, but in any event, ne- next week we're going to watch all the President's Men. Yep. Um, so thank you for watching, or thank you for listening. Uh, please join us next week for all the President's Men.